welcome to the Dev Town Bear Podcast. My name's Sean, and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boff and Mr. Boff, my man. How are we? I'm good, Sean, and I would like to give you the opportunity now in this public <laughs> platform to apologize to DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> For what? Didn't I didn't I say he was an all-star snub? No, I did, but that's after like three years of you being anti-DeMar <laughs> DeRozan, and he's proven you wrong with that beautiful step-back game winner from today. Yeah, and then, uh, so we've been doing the podcast for almost two years now, but three years of slander, which uh, that year and a half, maybe year and three months is completely undocumented. But DeMar DeRozan, I apologize, and I wish you the best of luck in the six or seven seed. <laughs> You think that they're going to make the six or seven seed, <laughs> bro? Um, where are actually no, I was just that, that's that's not the case at all. Where they are ninth at the moment, you know, yeah. hot race with the Golden State Warriors, and it's actually really scary being a Warriors fan right now and knowing that Zion Williamson is. It's literally like a boss in a video game, just thud 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 walking behind you, and he's on just the tour of thirty and thirty and sevens across every single team that he plays. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Demar Derozan. Uh, I, I shouldn't have been so silly to say that you were the sixth seed. You're in fact the ninth seed. Remember that Demar Derozan uh, full court, like um, coast to coast dunk over Anthony yeah. against Detroit a couple of years ago. Yes, Game I do. Winner with like three seconds left. That is one of my all time favorite plays. Anyway, you, Demar Derozan really? clutch scorer. Yeah, it was he fucking <laughs> po- like you know. Have you heard of or seen? Anthony Tolliver since 2018. If the answer is no, like that's probably got something to do with it. You know? He was he was a hot commodity last season, uh, yeah. playing for the Portland Trailblazers and then Memphis Grizzlies. In the same way that um, you know, another stretch four of his generation, Patrick Patterson was a hot commodity. It turns out that both of them literally just fell off the cliff. Like they fell off the cliff so like fucking wily coyote. <laughs> Actually, um, sorry, last season he played for Portland, Sacramento, and Memphis. Actually, to go back to your point about the DeMar DeRozan coast-to-coast uh, game winner, I think there were about three plays from John Morant today in today's Memphis game that were better than that. You than that. just apologized to DeMar DeRozan, and now you're <laughs> just bringing up a whole new list of things you got to apologize for. Did you see some of John Morant's dunks today? Well, if we're going to talk about dunks, we're going to talk about the Miles Bridges dunk, which was actually like one of the few, the dunk on Capella, which was one of the few plays in the NBA actually like worthy of the superlatives that the Bleacher Report Instagram account gives it. <laughs> one you unf- of the you few unfollowed dunks. them, yeah? Yeah, I did, unf- I did unfollow them. They're literally still haunting you. <laughs> yeah. No, but like I can just imagine, I, I probably, like someone would do like a, yeah, Someone would do like a, a nice behind the back pass and the, the admins at Bleacher Report NBA will like lose their minds. Like I, I shudder to think of what happened when they were posting that. Like did the phone, <laughs> did the phone short circuit in their hands as they posted that? All right. Well, lucky for you, I'm scrolling through Instagram as we speak and I'm this was actually like a couple of days ago in the Instagram world and real world, actually. Uh, I'm trying to find it. Can you guess what the uh, actual caption was? Oh, wait. Was this before or after the, the stupid Lakers-Raptors scuffle where OG Ananobi just absolutely flipped uh, Dennis Schroeder? I think it was. I think it's got to be after. It's okay, got to be after. Okay. Um, that was like a wrestling move that Ananobi won. That, that was sick. That was um. It takes a lot of strength. <laughs> uh, 
how much did Dennis Schroeder weigh? <laughs> <laughs> weighs as much as me. Oh, how much do you weigh? Uh, 66. Oh, nice, mate. Clickety At click. last weight. <laughs> At last weigh in. Yeah. Uh, I I actually cannot find this. This is this is strange. Oh, sick radio, but. <laughs> I'll, f- I'll I'll f- yeah I'll I'll fill in the I'll fill in the blanks. There's definitely there's definitely got to be like the you know like the kapow emoji like that explosion. Emoji. Yeah, maybe like, maybe fire. It would, maybe it would be like fire. all caps. Miles Bridges just detonated Clint Capella, and then like that emoji. That's incredible that this isn't here. Is there a Bleacher Report NBA? No, yeah, there is. Yeah. Br hoops. I feel like that's college again. Great radio. Now that's that's more college and high school and just anything goes. Malachi Finn, Flynn, sort of sort of vibes. Yeah. All right, uh, Dante. Today we are going to be regrading the 2019-20 off season. So that was a year and a half ago in normal time, but given it's Corona time, this is like. Two years ago, uh, uh, I actually have no idea when this was, but this was the KD Curry sign with Brooklyn Zone. July, tw- July 2019. Okay. Okay. So we're almost two years ago, uh, which, yeah. So we're, we're going to be regrading off season. We're going to be looking at what happened in the draft, look at some key draft trades. There were actually some really interesting ones this year. There were some really interesting ones in this year. And then obviously some big free agency moves, uh, as aforementioned. And there's also the Kawhi Leonard one. And we're going to get into it, going to be talking about what we, how we would grade these things because now some of the picks have been, some of the picks that were changing hands and some of the draft picks that were selected have had time to grade out and we can pretty much assume where people's careers are going to be heading, give or take Kobe White winning the most improved player this year, which uh, I think I can probably wave that one goodbye. Um, and yeah, Dante, is there anything else I should add to that? No, I think you summarized it very succinctly, but I'll just add... On on uh, that Kobe White point, he would be in contention, <laughs> but for a little known rule that you can't win most improved unless you shoot forty percent from the field. So, well, you also can't win most improved if you don't start for your team. Um, or, <laughs> yeah, or if you get worse from your rookie season to your second season. Yeah, but you know that that's sucks, neither, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, before we get into it, we'll kick it off with a draft, but just a little bit of housekeeping. Remember to read the Medium blog if you haven't already, and maybe even stay extra tuned to the Medium blog coming up this Thursday, just Friday, uh, for a special announcement, which can also be found on our socials, Facebook, Snapchat, LinkedIn, Bumble, Instagram, Twitter, follow them all. And uh, if, you, if you like listening to Dante and I's Beautiful voices. Tell a friend to also listen to their beautiful voices, preferably one that follows the basketball because they would be more interested in that then. If everyone tells a friend, we would pull our listenership. So think about that. <laughs> think about the power of the listener to increase listenership, which may not be important for you. I mean, you get you get our lustrous, dulcet tones into your ears every week regardless, but spread, you know, spread the good word. All right. Well, let's kick it off in this regrade. Uh, we'll start off with the draft, and we're not going to name every single draft pick, but Dante, we'll just quickly go through what are some of the more important draft picks, and, and what would you say were your thoughts when it happened and whether they've impressed you or, or gone the opposite way? Well, this draft was supposed to be Zion and then like a bunch of other dudes, and it 
to varying degrees has turned out that way. And I think like going back and looking at at least the first round, it's kind of Zion at one and then two through four, Jar, RJ Barrett and DeAndre Hunter. Sitting here near the end of all of those players' second seasons, you look at that and you're like, okay, I think all of those teams to varying degrees would be really happy with those picks. Like Zion is obviously Zion, Jar's obviously Jar. RJ Barrett is a bit like harder to decipher, but if you told me right now that he would make two all-star teams, like I wouldn't have a problem, you know, imagining it. Also, and he's Hunter, played really well this month and, and to finish off March as well. So yeah, if I'm you, telling you right now, definitely he makes two all-star You games. could see it. You could see it. Yeah. And then Hunter, you know, was really bad as a rookie, but when he has played this year, he's been really good. But then from five onwards, it just kind of like falls off a cliff and everybody mm. is either shit or massive, massive, like incomplete. Um, and so five Darius Garland to Cleveland at the time was, you know, a bit of a risk, but you're kind of thinking this dude, this dude his comp at the time was Dame Lillard. He did play three games in college because of a torn meniscus. So he you know, spent most of the, most of the rest of that season and the off season um, uh, rehabbing came into, came into his rookie year, like a little bit kind of behind on preparation time, which for most rookies is not, you know, you, you want to be really prepared. Um, if you come in behind, like it can be really hard to like gain that footing back. Um, and I think, that's the one for me that stands out from like a, a team building perspective, because at the time with Colin Sexton pairing another dude who has the same physical proportions as Colin Sexton um, and the same kind of like scoring ability, but not really like elite playmaking, it was a risk. Mm-hmm. And the thought process was let's pair two dynamic guards together and, um, maybe we will play really well for the first 15 games of next season. Yeah. <laughs> well, if that was, if that was the plan, like gold stars all around, um, but we're, we're, you know, we're sitting here uh, and despite, you know, us kind of half-heartedly seeing the praises of the Cavs of the year, they, they have the worst offense in the league with, you know, Garland being in and out of the lineup through his first two seasons and being, you know, he's had a couple of nice games. You might throw in a 22 and six on 50% shooting every now and then, but for the most part, he's been uh, really bad. And while Colin Sexton has, you know, really, really progressed as a scorer and he's, you know, someone who is, is a high volume, high efficiency scorer from the, mm-hmm. uh, I, I hesitate to call him a point guard, but you know, <laughs> from the, from the backcourt, uh, neither of them are even close to well-rounded enough to um, have like a you know consistent impact on a good a good team. So I think that stands out as one to me where it just it was a risk in the moment and and none of the variables that you needed to fall into place have fallen into place uh, mm. and and you're left with you know I mean what's what's the how effective can a you know an, an iffy scorer, iffy playmaker, bad defender who's six foot two and has a you know a, a six foot one wingspan? How how effective can that guy be? And I think that you know borne out. See this this is interesting because you 
have a lot more opinions on this draft than I think I do because I think heading into this draft, we said, all right, there's Zion Williamson, number one, John Morant's a close number two. RJ Barrett just naturally slots into the three because he seems like a Knicks kind of player as well. Um, and then it's just like, as every draft should be, it's just a slow uh, sort of descent from there, right? And then you look at just the draft prize. You've got DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Luka Doncic, right? That is all over the shop. But it seems with this draft, one through 15, like give or take, maybe if you're Phoenix, you'd rather PJ Washington than Cam Johnson, or maybe if you're Minnesota, you'd rather Kobe White than Jarrett Culver. But it seems that everything is just roughly in order. There's no Donovan Mitchell where it's, it's I mean, we thought it might have been Tyler Hero last season, but this season sort of uh, tampered those expectations. But there's no guy that is just bouncing out from, you know, somewhere late in the lottery, in the lottery. This seems like a really this is how drafts should go. This seems like a draft that strong at the top and just slowly gets progressively worse. I I, I'm, I still hold out hope for the Darius Garland pick. I, I don't. Uh, I think I'm a little bit higher on him than you are. Would I be right there? Yeah, I mean, I just like, like the the margin for error with players like that is a lot slimmer because he's never going to affect a game physically. So you have to be yeah. so at multiple. Yeah, you have to be things. Steve Nash, otherwise you date DJ Augustine. Well, and then, yeah, I mean, like that's 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 a good way of putting it. But I, I, there's a middle ground. Like you don't have to, be, <laughs> of course, you don't have to be, you don't have to be, you have to be the greatest point guard of all time. <laughs> Bet. <laughs> but yeah, you you do have to be really elite at, you know, you see dudes who are, you see dudes that size who are even elite at one thing, and it just doesn't work. You can be an elite playmaker, but if you're six two and you're not athletic, like you won't stick. Um, but just on that point, you know, it, it kind of getting progressively worse. I think the the strangest thing is that that's what this is what everyone told, like all, all the draft experts saying for you know a year out from this draft that this is what it was going to be like. That from the top few, the zone, and then there's a sizable step down to like maybe two or three other dudes, and from there there's another big step down, and everyone in the four through 15 range has been pretty much worse than what you would have. Well, actually I'll push back on that and say the one person who's been better Um, than I expected is Rui Hachimura. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I was really low on him, but I think he's much better. Sorry. And Cameron ish. Yeah. Well, the the, the, Cameron Johnson. Yeah. Cameron Johnson, the the dudes who have, who have been good, uh, I would say is, um, Cam Johnson has has probably played at a level that most people thought would be his career peak, which is like quality role player, first swing off the bench kind of thing. Yeah. Um, PJ Washington has been good, and Tyler Hero obviously has been better than like a late lottery pick. I would push back on Rui because I think that he's actually not that good, um, <laughs> and and I think that I think that he he could be good, but. A lot of the time, um, yeah, I mean, he, he just hasn't convinced me there's, there's anything other than that, you know, massive, massive frame and decent mid-range touch. Hmm. But everybody else has kind of been worse than what you might reasonably have expected because, you know, we're looking at Jarrett Culver, who's been an absolute unmitigated disaster. Kobe White has been on the lower end of off-the-bench spark plug. 
Jackson Hayes, when he's played, has just been like pretty average. Cam Reddish, massive I'm smiling. struggles. I'm smiling. Yeah. Langford uh, and Dumbuya, uh, you know, um, from Boston and Detroit, respectively. Dumbuya might be out of the league. I know. And remember, I, he- I, luckily, I took my very fast victory lap when you had that little eight-game flash last season. <laughs> yeah. And, and Langford hasn't been able to get healthy. So we're left with outside the, you know, the top kind of three or four picks. Very few actual dudes who, who, who profile as... Um, you know, good good yeah. NBA players because I mean, with someone like Reddish, he hasn't proven that he can do enough offensively that he needs to be involved in any real capacity. And then you know, good enough shooter that if he's not really involved, it's like why is he out there? You may as well just replace him with Kevin Herter. And I think the same is true of Rui Hachimura in that he hasn't proven he can be a complementary piece in a way that really fits. And so a lot of what his offense is, is spot up mid-rangers and posting up smaller players when he gets a mismatch, which is kind of gummy. And I don't think he's good enough yet at either of those two things. I think um, actually, sorry, I think he might be a little bit more suited to your Steve Nash, well, it's actually my Steve Nash or DJ Augustine take, where it's like, if you are going to be as good as DeMar DeRozan, then you can be the dude that, is the top of your offense. But if you're going to be a backup and obviously he, he naturally fits behind a lot of the dudes on that Washington roster, then he's not going to be as effective as he could be uh, if he's not the one a, and obviously he's not next to Bradley Beal and Russell. So it's a bit like, yeah, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, he's, definitely. He's still a player. You've got to have, you've got to have a skill. If, if you're, if you're not one of the two best players on your team, you have to have an offensive skill set, which allows you to, f- and he's not yet a good enough shooter or defender to really justify, you know? Yeah. All right. Um, could, could I could I take uh, another victory lap, which I didn't actually initially on the Jackson Hayes pick? Because while I think Jackson Hayes is a cool dude, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm obviously not an assistant coach who, who votes on whether he gets to play on a meaningless game. So he might think I'm a cool dude as well. But I think the pick just looks worse that they've come in, they've drafted. I, I criticized the pick at the time thinking that you've got Zion Williamson. He, at the time, wasn't a good defender, but he was incredible on offense. You just didn't know what position he was going to play on offense, whether it be the four or the five. So by using like a valuable pick, the eighth pick to draft a guy who is going to force Zion into the four, then you're a little bit like, okay, well, he better be a four. His best position better not be a five. Obviously, we know what happened the season after they traded one of their first-round picks alongside something else to get Stephen Adams. So it's like you, you've you've said, okay, let's put Zion Williamson next to a traditional center. Obviously, Jackson Hayes wasn't the perfect solution, so you've gone out and got Stephen Adams. I obviously criticize the Stephen Adams thing for the same thing as that. Um, I. I'm not right in the fact that Zion's just going to like naturally be fine at center because obviously the minutes where he's at center and he's the one guarding the rim don't look great. But just the fact that they followed up the drafting of Jackson Hayes with trading for a dude who's much more established and going to play his exact position and his exact role for as long as he's going to be on the team, which is two years after this, I'm not a big fan of that and it doesn't make the Hayes pick look good in retrospect. But as Jalen Rose, as Jalen Rose says, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, Jalen Jalen Rose has been right about many things, including that. 
Um, <laughs> I think the there's been some variability as well in the the outcomes with some of these guys because I was definitely very um, critical of RJ Barrett as a rookie and at the start of this season. Uh, again, just kind of for the exact same things that I said about about Rui, where if you're not amazing at playing a bully ball, mid-range based brand of basketball, you can't really justify having the license to go and do that. Um, and that was pretty much all that we saw from RJ Barrett as a rookie. Granted, it was an absolutely abhorrent situation just with like no, no um, direction. Steady, no, yeah, no, no direction. There was no guard who could actually you know feasibly set things up they was all gummy it was all like poorly spaced and this season with all of those things kind of improving he has been much improved and then hunter looked for the most part just as bad as cam reddish as a rookie which is to say like awful like, you know one of the worst players in the nba awful and this season he's been really really good mm. uh i don't have his numbers in front of me but it's something like 16 16 a game with you know some really really good d shooting the three really well and and being that kind of player that everyone said he could be which is exactly fitting, fitting into his role yeah it's the exact opposite of the baron hachimura um you know build uh, mm. as a player they all have similar frames but in terms of play style he's just like i'm going to spot up i'm gonna cut i'm gonna defensive rebound i'm gonna lock my dude up play team defense and that's you know ex- you know extremely valuable um especially since you already have the trey young like i was critical of the picks because i said you have to get another dude next to trey young and whether you thought that was going to be john collins or not and look we're, we're going to see what happens with him in free agency whether he's going to be there a year from now but I was critical saying, hey, uh, you're getting this dude who doesn't project to be just a superstar next to Trey Young. You'll look like you're going to get a role player. They might have got the best case scenario for a role player though. So I think I was a little bit wrong there saying, hey, you know, shoot for the stars. But I, uh, I'm i content in saying that I'm incorrect here because he like, I, I would be happy with DeAndre Hunter as like my glue guy, fifth option. Aaron Gordon on this Denver team, for example, I'm, I would be happy with him in that role with a little bit of upside for the next 10 years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I mean, like, like, like it's, it's kind of, when you get a player like that, it, it can really kind of stitch your team together, um, which, you know, Aaron Gordon looks to be that in, in Denver, um, you know, the, the spirit animal NBA player of this podcast, Mikael Bridges, is another <laughs> such player. Um, but well, one, glue, one glue guys, Dante, do you want to quickly plug the article by uh, Will Conkin a couple of weeks ago? Everybody get on medium.com <laughs> forward slash the deep two with hyphens in between and read Will Conkin's article on glue guys, uh, where he do he, some of those dudes who exemplify that role and really stitch their team together. Uh, it's a good read. So anyway, props to Will. Um, before before we move on from the draft chat, I just want to talk a little bit about Tyler Hero because he, I think, is the most enigmatic player from this draft uh, in the sense that he was, you know, reasonably, reasonably well thought of, um, picked at the 13th pick, like whatever, and then throughout the course of the postseason last year just blows up to the point where he becomes a you know an internet sensation (laughs) someone he becomes the bleacher nba instagram account oh and the nba top shot like ambassador 
He's only Sean. He's only nineteen. A hero is um, more than a sandwich. I I literally own two top shots. And I still don't know what they do. Yeah, yeah, neither. To be honest, <laughs> um, he yeah, he kind of blew up to become this un, this untouchable guy, and and he's 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 come back down to earth a little bit this year. And um, one of the similarities between he and another former Kentucky Wildcat picked at number thirteen in the draft, Devin Booker, is that he came in with a reputation as just like a knockdown shooter and that's what he's going to be and instantly showed that there's actually a lot more to his game than that. And in a a strange twist of fate, neither of them have actually been like amazing three-point shooters by the numbers. (laughs) Um, You know, as, as a Suns fan, I know all too well that Devin Booker looks like moves, like sounds like a 40% three-point shooter. And I I don't think he's actually ever shot. 40% 40% from three. I think he's shooting 36 this season. And mm. likewise, Hero's shooting 35 this season, which is below the NBA average. So he's actually like a worse than average shooter, which, you know, just doesn't really make sense. But then on the flip side, he, you know, he he has become, uh, I think, a more satile scorer and offensive player than anyone expected this early on. But he was kind of a, you know, very enigmatic in those, you know, in the hardened discussions and is Miami going to, you know, move, move yeah. for a star this offseason. It's like, you can't have Tyler Hero, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, depending on how much, you, how much you rate him, I, I, I guess, um, you know, if you think <laughs> yeah. he's the, if you think he's the second coming of Ray I mean, Allen, I mean given how James Harden is on track to maybe win another MVP and Tyler Hero is sort of trended in the wrong direction, you 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 don't look back kindly on that. Hey, we can't give up Tyler Hero to get James Harden after five games into his sophomore season. Yeah, and 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 maybe you know maybe maybe that's as good as it gets for for him that you know that that Eastern Conference and NBA Finals performance as a rookie. Uh, it, good as it gets that'd still be a pretty nice career um <laughs> but i think he's one of the one of one of those dudes who just he just like you know could i see him being a, a consistent 20 point a game scorer for his career like definitely but uh I, I could also see the flip side you know go the other way where it, it's much to do about not that much and and not not so much tyrick evans just more langston galloway where it's like oh whoa he's making shots for new york but it's like okay, he's actually just like a good player. Damn, if if if, if Tyler Hero turns out to be Langston Gallagher, like, I just I just remember just obviously because he wore uh, a certain jersey that gets a lot of attention, but Langston Galloway was on every single commercial uh, for in between uh, league pass games. Do you remember that? And it's like, whoa, Langston Galloway, what's your favorite color? Oh, what's your favorite snack? And it's like, let's not talk too much about this dude, like. They won 15, 17 games that year. Uh, and he, oh, look, he's off the roster. Is that like the, um, the, like the 24 second shot clock, uh, one that they play? And it's like, it's like Luca being like, hi, <laughs> this is Luca Doncic and this is 24 <laughs> seconds with me. Luca Doncic. <laughs> and then at the end, it's, it literally just like answers two questions because it's 24 <laughs> seconds. They play some highlights. And then at the end, he's like, all right, that's all from me. <laughs> I'm out. You know, they actually, I was watching Dallas today and they did a really good one with Maxi Kleber where they went through and they were asking all the Mavs um, 
like, why have you got your your jersey number? And Paul Zingas is like, oh, well, you know, my my older brother's my idol. He wore number six. That's why I chose six. And they said to Dorian Finney-Smith, why do you wear a 10? And he's like, look at me. I'm a 10. I'm a 10 everywhere. And then they said to Maxi Kleber, where do you get your jersey number? And he goes, well, I actually used to be 12. But then uh, when I went into high school, someone was already wearing 12, so I changed to 14. Uh, and then when I went up to EuroLeague, someone else was wearing 14, so I changed to 18. And then when I went to a different team, like Real Madrid, someone else was wearing 18. So then when I moved here, I had to change my number there because someone else was wearing 18. And then he's like, now I just wear 42 and no one else has it. <laughs> <laughs> and then that he's was like, really he's wholesome. Like- He's like, okay, that was 24 seconds with Maxi Kleber. <laughs> One question. <laughs> now, but they always like, there'll be five seconds left on the shot clock and they'll go, oh, and time's up. And that's 24 seconds with me, Eric Bashkill. Thanks yeah, for but, watching. Yeah. I mean, even the, even the native English speakers, uh, they are just so, so low energy, so intensely uninterested. Well, think about what like... they're doing on media day, man. They have to come in, they have to be fully dressed up. They have to come in, take a bunch of photos, sign every single Panini card with their signature on it. And then they have to go in and answer all these questions. And that might even be after they're standing in front of the flames, holding a ball, screaming. And then you've obviously got the obligatory, get up, get on your feet and make some noise. And then they got to like mouth defense and, it's probably really tiring and and maybe the answer is do those questions at the start of the day. I'm not going to talk anymore. I actually don't know the whole routine for how many days you've go. Come to the wrong, <laughs> you've come to the wrong place if you are looking for sympathy for NBA players who have to do one day of that stuff <laughs> a year in order to get paid millions of dollars. Well, bloody Dante and I sitting here, we have to do a media day once a month. So, you know, get used yeah. to it. We love our sports, obviously. We're doing a freaking basketball podcast. But what we love about the sport is the competition. The elite athletes, the memes, the off-season moves, the free agency periods, the trades, the dunks, the shooting, and we even love replay reviews sometimes. We love everything to do with the game. But what we don't love is seeing gambling ads every time there's a break in play. While having a punt may seem harmless, we're seeing almost as much gambling content as sport itself, and something has to change. Gambling is becoming further and further ingrained in sports. Whether on TV, radio, podcasts, online, jerseys, billboards, and pretty much everywhere we look. The Australian gambling industry spent $273 million on advertising in 2018, and it has only grown with more people gambling and more people losing. The answer isn't to ban sports gambling, but there needs to be a change in the way it's advertised. Three quarters of Aussie kids now think that betting on sport is normal. However, it's not a prerequisite for enjoying the game. Follow the link in this episode's description or type in endgamblingads.org.au forward slash petition to sign the petition to remove gambling ads from the sports we love and go back to enjoying it without any money on it. Um, We can always just dip back into the draft, but I think the more interesting part about the draft and you had a quote before, uh, probably about five minutes ago, where you said, you're not amazing. uh, And I'm just going to use that as a really ugly segue to Dante. Speaking of you're not amazing, let's talk about how the Jarrett Culver trade has, has, has aged. So Phoenix traded number six. They traded down from number six, which was the pick for Jarrett Culver for 11, which became Cam Johnson and Dario Saric. And at the time, I thought that Phoenix was giving up a prospect in Jarrett Culver for a lock of a role player and Dario Saric who I thought was better than what he ended up being for Phoenix but you a guy who was going to expire at the end of the year and then you had to pay him 
Little did I know Darius Saric wouldn't actually be the good part of the, this trade. It would be your your bona fide role player that you just locked up. Uh, and Dario didn't play that well, so you didn't even have to pay him in the end. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you, you introduced this by saying it's not amazing. And I would say that <laughs> it is amazing just as long as you're a Phoenix Suns fan because, yeah. you know, like I, the, the Cam Johnson pick was so widely panned by literally everyone, including you, including me. And I don't think that it was because no one thought that Cam Johnson could be this good, but it was because people thought you could get him and that if he did become this good, it would be as a 28 year old, not, you know, as a rookie, as a, as a second year guy. Now he is old. Well, like, 26 he's 20, year old. He's 20, you know, he's 20, he's 20, <laughs> he's 25, but I don't think anyone expected him to be, you know, first wing off the bench on a second seed. Good. Uh, you know, he's older than Jermaine O'Neal. <laughs> Shorty, come on. <laughs> he was just getting tired next to every single different dude. I loved it. Um, <laughs> I, 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 he, he's been, he's been really good as, as that, that first wing off the bench on a good team, uh, three and D role player and Saric, you know, we, we, we had a conversation when it was, um, you know, when the trade was done and I said, I, I don't want to, you know, Saric is a good role player. I don't, I don't want to pay him $15 million a year. I don't want to be responsible for taking on a one year out from restricted free agency and having to, give up the bag for him regardless who he is and you know Saric finished the year really strong but for most of last year he was disappointing and I think that probably contributed to us being able to bring him in for just over the mid-level like three three years 30 million is you know beautiful that's that's absolutely and he's been so good playing 20 minutes a night as a small ball five and just you know doing his best Enos Cantor no defense all rebounds and you know inside scoring Mm. Um, and Culver has just been an un, an unparalleled bust, um, <laughs> who, you know, was terrible as a rookie playing, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game. And this season he's only playing about 15 minutes a game, which for a dude who you invested such a high pick for, um, and you don't mention, even know what position he plays, not to mention trading him for him to be playing 15 minutes a game on you're the worst team in the league. Like that is, that is, you know, some yeah. pretty, some pretty terrible stuff. So uh, yeah, yeah, in terms yeah. of, in, you know, in, in terms of looking at, at a, a one side, this is, this is exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Now what I want to talk about some, some of the key draft trades were two trades where it seemed like one team, well, it definitely was one team was overplaying their hand. So the first one was that, the uh, the Philadelphia 76ers really wanted to draft Matisse Tybal. This was obviously Elton Brand's first draft, and he was like mildly criticized. Like, you know, Zach Lowe spent two seconds talking about it, saying you shouldn't have said it. But it, pretty much the Sixers said, we want Matisse Tybal. So then Boston, who had the 20th pick, said, well, we're going to draft Matisse Tybal. You have to trade us X and Y. Those picks ended up being 24 and 33, which was Ty Jerome and Carson Edwards. And even though they might have overplayed their hand, Philly has definitely run away with the better player there with Matisse being a good, solid player on a good team. Ty Jerome and Carson Edwards, you can't say the same. Uh, and then the second example of this was when Cleveland really, really overplayed their hand, saying that they wanted Kevin Porter Jr. They wanted to draft him with the 30th pick. Um, and then Detroit came in, traded Tony Snell and a bag of peanuts to Milwaukee for the 30th pick, like literally gave up Tony Snell. 
and then they said to Cleveland, well, we're going to draft Kevin Porter Jr. What are you going to give us? And they got a 2020, 2021, 2023, and 2024 second round pick just for the rights to draft Kevin Porter Jr., who was essentially traded for a top 55 protected pick from Houston a couple of weeks ago. So two overplays. One of them went really well. One of them went really poorly. Yeah, well, I, I think the Philly one, you know, you said that that Tiger was finding away the best the best player out of those two. And, and Carson Edwards is another, you know, to be enshrined in the fame of players who'd be so much better if they weren't five foot 11 uh throwing you know tyler ulis um <laughs> phoenix <laughs> whole, backup guards for the past yeah, five whole, years. a whole bunch of other a whole bunch of other dudes who it's like can we stop picking up sub six foot guards in the second round because if it wasn't we, for isaiah thomas i yeah, don't well, think many of them would be getting taken yeah isaiah thomas is the one example of 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 a it's the know, one exception to the rule man he's not even yeah, an example yeah and and ty jerome you know uh end up in 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 phoenix through another trade and he's now not playing for the Oklahoma city thunder who would play you know if jared colville was on the oklahoma city thunder colville would play 30 minutes play a game. half an hour no you have and, to refer to it as half an hour because you have to put up with <laughs> jared colville on the court it's not 30 minutes it's half an hour of jared colville <laughs> um yeah and can't even get much time uh and then you know like let's 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 talk about kpj for a little for a little bit um <laughs> who i still I, like i want to i want to temper expectations uh, not expectations, but just kind of give a bit of context. He's putting up huge numbers for a second-year player, but Houston is pretty much a blank canvas, and the young players on Houston are pretty much just like Jackson Pollock in that they are literally just fucking doing all sorts of crazy shit. Not all of it's good. Some of it's wild. Doesn't make sense. Um, and so you're looking at it, and and you know his his winning stats are. Um, unreal he's averaging like four like 15 and six this season and yeah. he's just his his you know for a, a dude who came in kind of as like a, a you know two three to be averaging six assists whilst playing next to ball dominant wall is a pretty uh that's a pretty nice accomplishment well um, ball, wall doesn't play all the time as well you have to keep in mind well wall's playing enough when, when he plays yeah. Anyway, <laughs> KPJ looks like there could be something there. And you just have to wonder, this is another thing that I, I want to loop back around to the, the Garland discussion before. Um, are we still giving Kobe Altman the benefit of the doubt? And I don't we think had this we conversation ever gave couple... Kobe Altman the benefit of the doubt, man. Well, that Kevin Love re-signed, that Kevin Love giving him the max and then wondering why no one wants to trade for your fucking player might be one of the worst contracts if, if it wasn't. Like the best non-supermax contract the worst non-supermax contract yeah yeah i mean he he has kind of mis misplayed his hand at every turn and (laughs) even outside of the the asset play that you just described for getting kevin porter jr um not being able to figure out how to get him on the court and i don't know the (laughs) i don't know the full story and it seems like there are it seems like maturity issues that f- caused him to fall in the draft uh, definitely reared their head in Cleveland and he didn't play for them this season. But surely part of your job as, you know, a front office and JB Bickerstaff and the coaching staff is 
to be able to figure out how to get an obviously talented player to actually play for your team. So that's another, you know, another mm. kind of notch in the belt of why is why is this bloke um, still in the job? And you mentioned you mentioned Kevin Love. He's played eighty eight games over three seasons <laughs> since signing this since signing the supermax that pays him thirty five million dollars a year. Yeah, so, it's it's yeah, uh, and uh, it's and just the whole Andre Drummond thing as well. I mean, Detroit got a middling second round pick or wasn't maybe two second round picks out of that. And then just matching salary that's now completely disappeared. Now they just have free ink to do whatever they want with it. When Cleveland picked him up and then ended up having to buy him out because they didn't want to pay him and then didn't want to play him and, and so on and so on. So it's like they, they just stuffed up that. And I think that's minuscule as well, but like what have they done right? Like drafting Colin Sexton, if from Dante's glasses or like, I don't see that as a crazy win. Um, I just, what what have they done? Who, <laughs> what what what's he done right? Actually, yeah, it's that's it's a good question, uh, and it's one that I don't have I don't have an easy answer for you. Um, but he he definitely has, he definitely has done uh, quite a lot wrong. And um, just I'm just I was just on Kevin Love's uh, basketball reference page. Have a how many All Star games do you think Kevin Love made? I'm, I say made like like he's retired. I know he still played, <laughs> but like, like five. Yeah, he nailed it. Five, <laughs> two, two with the Cavs, and he actually didn't make an didn't make an All Star team in Cleveland in his first two years. Um, the six players drafted after Colin Sexton. Uh, Kevin Knox, Mikael Bridges, Shea Gildas, Alexander, Miles Bridges, Jerome Robertson, and Michael Porter Jr. Man, I guess, you know, all those teams probably looking back at Jerome Robinson being like, damn, if only <laughs> we had taken that guy. He was recently waived and, and might be heading to the, the beautiful Elmalfi. How do you say that, Coast? Uh, Amalfi. Amalfi, Amalfi. The, the boffer's coming out. Oh, i got no idea how to say it. It's a, I mean, I like in all seriousness, it's like a six-letter word. It's two syllables. So, <laughs> you know, Amalfi. It's three syllables. But, like, you know, come on. What, what oh. are we really doing here? <laughs> What are we doing here? Uh, hey, what are we doing? Just one final draft day trade I want to bring up because Dante, you are you're happy. You know, I can tell you're happy. You're a Phoenix Suns fan. Like you guys might be getting the one seed and and unluckily might be facing the Lakers in the first round. But the Suns are good. The Suns have done a great job. Um, but let's just remember that Indiana got three second round picks and TJ Warren for cash considerations. There's a high likelihood that James Jones, the Phoenix Suns GM, is a bit like Mr. Bean in in that it it's worked out for him, but the way that he got there just reeks of uh, incompetence and uh, general oddball shenanigans. Uh, because yeah, I mean, like you know that that's not the only trade that we made that that off season where we. You know, like it, it was just like mind-boggling. We traded, um, we traded Josh Jackson, D'Anthony Melton, and I think two seconds to the Memphis Grizzlies for Kyle Corver, who we then wait Kyle Corver and <laughs> Carter, who we waved Corver. So we gave up. Did that Mel- did open up 
time that did open up money to get Ricky Rubio as well. Though. Yeah, I know, but surely we could have done. Surely we could have done something else. Like at least just like for not. Paul. At least it's not trade Melton for Carter because you know you traded you traded two set point guards for each other and Melton has turned out to be far better than Carter. Plus the draft assets. Plus you know like again mm. you you pay for your past mistakes because we had to get rid of Jackson's contract to open up the room to sign rick rubio um but yeah i mean that was the other trade where it was just kind of like you're looking at and you're like what is going on here like is this is this guy actually a professional like this it kind of seemed like one of those like mid-2000s trades where it's like the yeah you know part-time like, gm <laughs> part-time yeah like part-time whole yeah. supervisor <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think James Jones, Mister Bean, is probably his um, yeah, his his <laughs> comparison point because it, it it has worked out. Because I mean, obviously, you look at the look at the team that he inherited two three years ago, and where the second seed Western Conference now, which is the second seed in the <laughs> West is like the negative first seed in the East. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so, actually, actually, Phoenix has more wins than Philadelphia do, and Philadelphia are number one in the in the East at the moment. You've had, you're actually two win, two losses up in the loss column, so I, you I, are spot on with negative one in the East. I should correct myself. I I said East, but I actually meant the right and conference. Um, so <laughs> left and right cons- left, conference. Left, the left and the right and conference. Um, just before we move on to some free agency stuff, I've uh, I'm just about to close the tab with the twenty. 18 draft in it and i've just for some reason sorted it by minutes played uh so for example deandre ayton obviously number one pick has played the eighth most minutes in that whole draft class obviously luke donchus trey young mikhail bridges the big names there um who has played the most minutes out of that whole entire draft class the most minutes in the 2018 draft i don't know uh trey young Trey Young second behind Colin Sexton. <laughs> <laughs> and this is including like Luca. Actually, does this include bubble? Like Mikhail Bridges and Luca getting some extra bubble minutes? Yeah, it definitely would. So that's so Colin Sexton, just by eyeballing it, has a hair under 200 more minutes than Mikhail Bridges. That's an, that's an extra six or seven games. Yeah. Um, Wow, yeah. I mean, Colin Sexton is genuinely good, but he's never gonna. He people are always gonna think that he's so much worse than he is because <laughs> he's in such a prominent position. If Colin yeah. Sexton, if Colin Sexton was on the Jazz instead of Donovan Mitchell, obviously <laughs> he would be the obvi- like hippie pick. <laughs> obviously, the Jazz would be worse because Mitchell is a way better player than Sexton. But Sexton, people would be like, "Man, he just makes the next pass, and like he's not afraid to shoot it, and he really helps offensively. He's a smart cutter. He's really good with the ball in his hand. Yeah, he gives him another element. That's what the conversation <laughs> would be about because he's, you know, it's Jordan out- Clarkson. All of a sudden, he's Jordan Clarkson. Well, he's better than Jordan Clarkson. But you know, if Jordan Clarkson was on the Cavs, which he was, but it, it, you know. It, if Jordan Clarkson was in the Colin Sexton role, I'll tell you how that would go. I, I hope you love the number 37 because that's not his three-point percentage. It's his field goal percentage. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Colin Sexton, forever misunderstood. 
All right, so free agency, let's start off with the team who won the most. So the Philadelphia 76ers, they swapped Jimmy Butler in a sign-and-trade. Obviously, they lost him, then just pivoted it into a sign-and-trade to get Josh Richardson from the Miami Heat. They re-signed Tobias Harris on like five for 170, and then they also signed Al Horford. Now, we were just talking about how the Philadelphia front office overplayed their hands there, and just gave up a little bit too much just for a pure pick point, but obviously got the win when they got the better player in Matisse Tybull. Uh, how do you feel looking back on, and also how much they've been able to, how how much Dermot Murray quickly came in and just made this team better just by bonking them on the head? How do you feel about this whole entire free agency period for the Philadelphia 76ers? I mean, similarly to the Suns conversation that we just had, you have to look at it objectively and say that it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> but somehow sitting here today in April, 2021, it's, it's worked out. Mm. Uh, you've got, you know, they've got the most wins in the right and conference uh, <laughs> you know, with, with, with six, six weeks left in the, in the season. So that's, that's obviously a win, but the, you know, the, the individual variables here, like not, being able to work it out with Butler, which, you know, from, from all the reporting at the time was because disagreement, you know, fundamental disagreement with Butler and um, Brett Brown, who is now no longer with the team. Yeah. <laughs> you trade Butler, you're lauded for it at the time for, for turning, you know, getting Josh Richardson into the building. Josh Richardson's fresh off averaging, you know, 17 points shooting 40% from three, playing lock-up D and actually cheeky showing steel, some, cheeky block. Yeah, some real chops as a ball handler. Uh, turns out that that was an outlier season and Richardson was shit in Philly or, you know, shit comparatively. Um, mm. Horford on the money that you then had to pay through the note of. And Harris has been really good, but no one would look you in the eye and say that he's worth a max. And yet somehow they're sitting here and they're better than they've ever been. And they've probably got a greater chance of making it through to at least the conference finals than they did even in even in 2019 when they um you know were four bounces away from it. Yeah, yeah, which is which is crazy thing. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. Um, it's like the operation was a failure, but the patient survived. Like you know, the operation was a success, but success, but the patient died. It's like the reverse yeah. Well, the right. operation was a failure, but the patient is now the healthiest person <laughs> in the world. It's like somehow defying all the laws of science. The guy, <laughs> you know, we 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 chopped through his aorta, but he survived, and he's now just thriving. He's now like sucking up blood from roots of trees and has like figured out another way to live. Cool, Daryl Morey. <laughs> um, what, what's another one of these signings you want to talk about? I want to talk about, uh, and, you know, I made you apologize at the start of the <laughs> podcast. Uh, this is going to be my mea culpa. Um, and I don't know, I don't know why this episode stands out so much for me. <laughs> But I want to talk about Kemba signing with Boston. And the at least in my head, it's the fans uh, church churchyard episode that oh. we recorded whilst I was in the UK. I think I was in Edinburgh. And the only place that I could find that was like a, had a little bit of peace and quiet was was in a church garden. I and that. I sat there and absolutely slandered 
the Charlotte Hornets organization for about 20 minutes. Uh, how could you possibly let Kemba go? How could you possibly think you could replace him with Rosier? How could you give Rosier almost $20 million a year when you let Kemba for $25 million a year? Why didn't you trade Kemba at the deadline if you weren't going to re-sign him? Mm. What's going on? Anyway, I want to apologize because this season, <laughs> Terry Rozier has actually been genuinely good and looks like you'd be comfortable paying probably almost what he's making. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been the second or third best player on what's going to be a playoff team. Maybe and, even a full seed. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, or oh, six seed at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> the four seed, the four seed in the right and conference. Like, Go on, get it out of your system. In the right and conference is the is the nine seed in the left and conference. Um, but Kemba has been so unbelievably bad after the first like four months in a Celtics uniform. Since he since he picked up a little niggle, hasn't been able to shake it. No oomph left. His shot has just deserted him. Uh, you know, it's literally and- name value now. He's literally what name value. It's like yeah, if he's- if he was just like just a, a robot who was sent here to play basketball, you would not be believing what he can do from here. Did you know that he's taken over three times as many shots from three as at the rim this year? No, <laughs> which has which- he always been playing enough to to like log stats? Yeah, no, he's he's been he's been playing enough to log stats. He's shooting three free throws a game this season, which shots at the rim and free throws for buds as they get older is generally when those start to dip, you're kind of like, okay, mm. there's this is this is the you know, this is where it, it gets really dicey. Um yep, yep. and like what's what like do for this team now because as Brown and Tatum have developed into more ball dominant players, the need for Kemba has kind of like just flitted away. And you know, if he's only 30, so maybe he takes you know the rest of this season to kick back into gear. And next year, he comes back age 31 and he's a really good player. He's the Kemba that we know, but mm-hmm. since putting on a Celtics uniform, he has fundamentally not been a great NBA player. Um, and Terry Rozier has been <laughs> genuinely good this year. Um, it, it's in- it's something I would never have thought would have been the case. I would no, never, I mean, never, like, never would have thought that Charlotte were going to win this trade. Sean, I sat underneath God's you house. Cur- you cursed in a church. I sat underneath God's house, and I, Michael Jordan's a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and you know he, you know Terry Rozier, yeah, he's he's. I don't. I, I want to steady myself before I go too overboard on the Terry Rozier praise. He's a, he's a good <laughs> NBA point guard, which is not something that I thought I would say, you know, uh, twenty two months ago in the middle of twenty nineteen. But mm. this, you you have to look at at, at Danny Ainge as another one of these dudes who pretty much everything that he's done in the last two three years has not worked. Mm. Um from sitting on his ammo time and time again in pushing big trades when they did have assets to eventually moving for Kyrie Irving, who ended up maybe through no fault of the Celtics, who knows Mm -hmm. that ended up not working and then move moving on and pivoting into what looked at the time. We were both very high on this move. I remember, I remember when it happened, if, if Kemba's, 
hunt, you know, we were talking if, about windows, man. We were, yeah, we had built like, the if, house. If Kember is, if Kember is 80% as good as Kyrie and 100% as good in the locker room, then you're on <laughs> I remember saying that too. <laughs> but Kyrie's only gone on to play for the Nets and average like 28 points a game on like 55% shooting whilst Kemba can't even get on the court. And when he does, he, he, he can't do anything. Yeah. Um, but so, you gotta, you gotta keep in mind that Boston was so close to getting all of these like superstar deals done. Like they were, they were right around the corner, man. Like Kawhi Leonard was in the building. Anthony Davis has said he wants to be a Celtic for life. And like, this was, this was set in stone uh, until it wasn't. I can't wait for like the Danny Ainge 30 for 30 when he just gets to sit there and be like, well, you know, it didn't work out, but, uh, and just going through the list of everyone <laughs> that he like almost traded for. Yeah. I, I, for some reason, I just, I can't imagine him signing off on that. Uh, well, another trade that I, I was very big on this, which is so obviously Kawhi Leonard choosing to go to the Clippers and, there was all the Uncle Dennis stuff. There was all Kawhi being like, oh, look, I might go to the Lakers. He held on to the Lakers cap room. The, the Lakers didn't sign anyone. They sat there for six days while absolutely nothing happened and and players just got sapped up, um, you know, to, to name a few, Thad Young and El Farouk Amino. But you know what I mean? Like there was, there was guys out there uh, while the Lakers had enough cap space to sign a max player, whether that be Ken Walker, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, if you will. But Kawhi sat there and turns out he was just, quote, playing with the with the Lakers, unquote. And then by the time he had signed with the Clippers, he had, I'm going to use the word enticed, the team to trade for Paul George as well. The Clippers gave up Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, and then first round picks in 2022, 2024, and 2026, as well as Miami's picks in 2021, 23, and then the right to swap in 23 and 25 with OKC. Um, and I thought this was not only beautiful from the Clippers getting better and making a run of a title, but I thought it was beautiful by stuffing over the Lakers who after that sixth day of free agency were like, oh crap, we have to quickly turn around and get someone. They got Danny Green, which was you know, quite honestly a really good consolation prize. Like to be able to turn around and just get like a good three and D uh wing, despite not hitting his shots in the finals. But I, I don't think he should be judged on that. But I, I was very high on the Clippers, uh, obviously pick them to win the title this year because I still think they can do it. Um, but it it obviously didn't turn out well in the bubble playoffs. And that might be just because of the bubble playoffs, but it might also have been because it's hard to throw a team together on the fly and and win a game if you don't have LeBron James and win a championship if you don't have LeBron James on your roster. Well, I mean, one dude who's shown that he can win championships without LeBron is Kawhi. But <laughs> I was also, Clippers, yeah, I was, I was sipping from the, the Kawhi juice cup at the time. <laughs> the Clippers are like the ultimate, at least for me, like, you know, I'll believe when I see it, team. Uh, because last season obviously happened. Um, and it, the one time that I kind of agree with, have agreed with Charles Barkley his 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 what should be his immortal uh rant on um inside the nba the other day where he said he's been in the league retired skinny fat rich (laughs) poor in the hall of fame and the clippers have always sucked uh which you know i'm not one to 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 like the ethos the the spirit of the franchise really having a great impact on on the team but um 
you know, the Paul George side of this, um, he's obviously a great player, but he has just like a James Harden level um, low light reel in the playoffs where, <laughs> yeah. you know, prove, prove to me that Paul George can string 30 elite games together in a row in the playoffs because every time that his teams have lost, you know, shockingly in, in, the post which has been for the last three or four seasons like it's it's not a small sample size it's pretty Um, much outside of indiana yeah well outside of even like his first two seasons in indiana this you know his last couple when they were playoff teams in indiana they they didn't you know we're talking like since 2014 like i don't think he he he, i don't i wouldn't say he's the letdown for losing to lebron james at like the peak of no 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 but 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 you think about those indiana teams and then there were, you know, like the he was on Indiana teams that were after like the David West, Roy Hibbert, George Hill, those ones, like, you know, like the the Pacers emerged as like the rival for the Heat. Like there were teams after that where he was there and they were average. Um, in in OKC, they lost twice in the first round. Um, and I just I'm just over saying him hit the backboard. Um, <laughs> that's one thing. That's that's like death and taxes. You will never let that go. I never. Well, you know, <laughs> I, it's 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 more symbolic. But what's not symbolic is you know, like again, Harden is a very apt comparison because they've both had closeout games in the playoffs where they've like just completely shrunk from the moment. Like two years ago, where he 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 shot like eight times in a, a game seven. He was like two for eight. He had ten yeah. points or something. It's like, dude, well, come on. Well, um, I, I actually do feel a little bit sorry for Paul George because yesterday playing my first game of rec- <laughs> recreational basketball since the pandemic uh, started, I the first shot I took was a little bit of an offensive rebound, bounced it out to take a nice little sort of fading hook and then hit the side of the backboard. So like it happens to the best of us. But <laughs> before we keep crapping on the Clippers, can I just say if, if the Clippers don't win a championship next season, now they obviously re-signed Paul George to a max contract at the start of this year. If they don't win a championship this year and sign Kawhi to, let's say, a five-year max for him, and then let's say don't win a championship for the rest of those guys to yours, but stay up in the in the high 50s, 60 win range for those next couple of years, is that a win in your eyes? Or have they given up so much that they pretty much have to win this season and and maybe we're stretching to say they have to win the following season. Banners hang forever. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, yeah. Well, I think I, there's no transaction in the NBA that's not justified if you win a championship. So um, we we've got we've got two big things here. We've got Kawhi and Paul George going to the Clippers and Kyrie and KD going to Brooklyn. Should we judge these? Should we regrade this free agency four years from now? And if if they've won a championship, A plus. If they haven't won a championship, then we can start crapping on it. It's going to be below average. Well, I mean, like, you know, it, it, it it's definitely not fair to judge the Kawhi and PG era halfway through when they've only had one postseason together. And I'll walk back everything I just said about Paul George with grace if if they win the title this year or next. But the the flip side of what I just said about there not being an unjustifiable transaction if you win a ring is also true. If you give up everything that they gave up to the Thunder uh, and you don't win a ring, then you know it's 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 one of the biggest swing and misses in in the history of the NBA because 
if you're sitting there in 2026 and you're like, damn, I really wish we had any of our picks, you know, now or for the last three years, because now we're an average to below average team. It would be nice to be able to have our own draft capital, but at <laughs> least we won the 2021 uh, yeah, you know, no, finals. I, I remember the, remember the Kawhi, you know, the Kawhi <laughs> fadeaway. Remember EJ dunk with, you know, 10 seconds left to clinch it. Like, oh, like we'll remember that for the rest of our lives. If you don't have that, that banner, if you don't have those rings, those moments, then all you have is just, you know, all of the players that you could have picked going to Oklahoma City Thunder instead, which in 2025, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a salty, salty dessert <laughs> to suck on. If the, if you can, if the trade deadline hadn't passed already and we know what we know about the league right now and OKC went to the Lakers and said, we will give you 30 first round picks for LeBron and AD, do you reckon they would say yes? No. <laughs> okay. Stupid question. Uh, let's move on to another one I want to talk about, which is the Clay Thompson re-signed with Golden State to a maximum contract. And since he put pen to paper, he has not played in a Golden State jersey yet, obviously due to two very severe injuries. And like, yes, you you can call this the worst contract in the whole entire league, but no, it's obviously... No, stop it. <laughs> what do you mean? He literally stop. hasn't played a game. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's completely... I, I listened to some Warriors pods that refer to it as the worst contract in the league. Literally Warriors, because he hasn't touched the court. With respect. <laughs> Please, more respect. <laughs> a lot of Warriors media slash Warriors podcasters, ETC, are very careful, Dante. <laughs> histrionic to the extreme in that as soon as their team isn't one of the three or four best dynasties in the history of the NBA. It's like, everything is bad. It's like, (laughs) this is the worst team in the league. This sucks. Like everyone has failed Steph. This not the, that's not the worst contract in the league, bro. You, you know how much John Wall was getting paid? 44 million. You know how much Russell Westbrook's getting paid? You know how much Al Horford's getting paid? Do you know how much Kevin Love's getting paid? Oh my goodness me. Um no, it can't it can't be it can't be the worst contract in there because um It's got the least production. Well, but but that's just by default. Like you're not looking you're not you're not looking at the next three years of clay on this team and being like, damn, I, I wish I didn't have him on a max. You're looking at when he comes back healthy and you're like, all right, no stress, you pencil clean for 20 points, it's gonna play good defense, gonna sh- Lights out, no stress. You know what you're getting. Yeah, Whereas, hopefully, uh, I the other teams are bad. The other contracts are bad now, and they're only going to get worse as these guys play depreciates and the contract appreciates. Like it's it's fine. You, you right, have Clay right. Thompson on your team, faxed, and that's all not right. to you. That's to the you know the the Golden State podcasters. Come on, all right. Well, let's move on to a deep two staple which is the sign and trade with the Pacers and the Milwaukee Bucks for Malcolm Brogdon um this in retrospect does look better you wouldn't know it by listening to this podcast but the one first round (laughs) pick and two seconds that Milwaukee got in return for a sign and trade for Malcolm Brogdon who at the time was a great fit for that team um and would be a great fit the following season and might have been just what they needed to just have that other weapon in the playoffs when they got beaten by the Miami Heat but I mean I'm not breaking any ground there but they did actually parlay that first round pick uh eventually did they what am I what am I looking at here 
they traded it for. Well, they definitely would have. Had I'm to trade really it. confused at what I wrote every, on the notes. They every fucking pick. <laughs> they 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 um, were able to scrounge some value and turn it into Drew Holder. That's what I'm trying to say. I think what I've written in the notes here is wrong. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you definitely. It looks better. Yeah, you, it 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 does look it does look better. But here's the counterpoint. Uh, and you know, I, I think it's in our contract that we're not allowed <laughs> to let this die. Like we're actually contractually obliged to bring this up at every possible moment. Would you, would you rather have Malcolm Brogdon, a good cast of role players, Giannis, Lopez, Middleton, and then have all of your draft capital available and all of your roster capital available? Or would you rather have the roster that the Bucks currently have now, which they're ostensibly like locked into? Because I would say if you kept Brogdon, you would have filled 85% of the need for holiday anyway, been able to keep your, you know, your draft capital and your your equity and your move and use that in other ways. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe maybe they're the ones that trades for Marcus Morris Senior. No, well, what do you, you know, or, or something, <laughs> or something more. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking something potentially like potentially more glamorous. But instead of your whole move being Drew, you might have Brogdon, who you know is not 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 the player that Drew is, but is an absolutely like legitimate um, starting NBA point guard. He's averaging 26 and six this year on good efficiency. Like that's if he's 80 percent the player that Drew is. You just keep everything else and mm. fall into the you know like. The the conversation about like Giannis, um, you know, like we need to appease Giannis, and that's why we, you know, tried to sign Bogdanovich, fucked that up, paid through the nose for Drew Holiday, and now we're paying him forty million. You could have just paid Malcolm Brogdon twenty million a year, mm. and kept him, and you would have you would have rolled into the next season. You know, and there never would have been this rush to appease Giannis because he's been so fed up with the stupid moves that the front office has made. You would have just kept this dude. Well, apparently he's not fed up at all. I mean, he's not fed up now that he's got, you know, $1,400 million locked in, you know? Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I think, <laughs> I think that the theoretical flip side of where this team could have gone and the asset players that they could have made if they kept Brogdon would have allowed them to be in a completely different position now where, you know, they're not, yeah, yeah. They're but- locked in to this. They're locked into this core forever now. And they're not even favorites, you know, yeah. like they've literally got the MVP and another, two other all-star level players. And they're not even favorites in their own conference, no less. The the left is yes the left and the, no, no, the right the, and the right damn um, I'm really yeah. not good with uh, geography uh, <laughs> but it's I guess what this what this free agency period really set up is just that there is the Clippers with their two stars there's Brooklyn with their two stars there's the Bucks with a lot of pressure on them uh, and all three of those teams have to win a championship to justify the means. And this is in a world where there are young teams coming up and hoping to win as well, as well as, you know, the defending champions in the Lakers and, and so on and so forth. Um, it is, look, we knew it at the time when we saw this free agency period and we still know it now because it still exists, but there is a lot of pressure on a lot of these teams and it's a massive game of musical chairs. And what a beautiful free agency period set it all up. 
Yeah, well, it it um it was it was it was pretty all over the shop, and and it is really interesting going back and looking at at how those like moves that maybe weren't that you know ground shaking like like there were plenty of those in this offseason we've talked about with Kawhi, talked about Kyrie kd jimmy butler kemba but moves like that of like you know average to above average significance can actually play such a big role you know butterfly affecting their way um, through the seasons. Mm. Well, if, if Boyan Bogdanovich and the Utah Jazz win a title this year, we're going to be looking back at this free agency again and say, well, hang on, like the Conley trade before the draft or just after the draft, as well as getting Bogdanovich in one off season for Utah, set them up for not only Sean to pick them to win the title the, se- the season that happened, but um, yeah, like if they can do it, which I mean, I, I don't know where you sit on that, but where do you sit on that? Where do you see as a, as a Phoenix fan, where do you see Utah's title hopes? I don't think that Utah can make the finals, let alone win the um, <laughs> yeah win win the championship. Just just because um, you see it with a lot of the elite level ball handlers, uh, end of games they they're not afraid to go at go bear yeah. and hunt a mismatch and pull him away from the rim and you know like if you you've got if you're a confident mid-range scorer you can you can get your spot when you isolate against Gobert every time so the bookers and the Pauls the lebrons and the ADs the George and the Leonards you know like all of those dudes will be able to get a shot over Gobert when they need to and mm. That's the whole jazz system that, you know, the, the dudes who get scared by Gobert's like Mikhail Bridges, like on a cut and he's like, oh shit, like I was going to dunk it, but Gobert's there, I'll just kick it out and like turn the ball over. Yeah. Um, not, you know, Devin Booker with, you know, like a, a mismatch and he's 30 feet from the basket. Like that's, there's, there's 10 players in the West on playoff teams who you would, you know, back in that in that matchup. Well, we even saw um, it with Denver and, and Nikola Jokic. You know, it's a movable object versus the impenetrable wall. It's like best offense versus best defense uh, center. And Nikola Jokic just ate him for lunch, and obviously hit that game winner in Game Seven. Well, you know, game clincher in Game Seven. But it's like it it's clearly not working against the best of the best. Uh, and as you said, like the the stats show that in the playoffs, people aren't afraid of him because you have to score anyway and and someone insert like a Kobe Bryant quote somewhere about being lethal. <laughs> I mean, throw, throw Doncic and, and, and Dame into that list as well of, of, of guys who'll be able to get, get to their spot and get their shots off. So uh, mm. that's, he, he's, you know, he's the reason why they're able to do what they do. Um, they, they'll be a tough out because, you know, they've been, they, they are, they are a legit team and they've, they've been so good this year, but um. Yeah, I think that there's a there's a way to turn off the defense, and a lot of teams in the West have that key to do that when it really matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, I mean, we're we're, we're running late on time, but we should just mention that there were other things that happened this offseason, like D'Angelo Russell signing with Golden State. Uh, we could look at that through the lens of Andrew Wiggins and the Minnesota pick. We should probably judge it after this Minnesota pick gets dealt or converted. Uh, you've got the Knicks just signing Julius Randle and is, what is he, the favourite to win 
most improved player this season. Ricky Rubio signing with Phoenix. I criticized it. I think you were more positive about it, but it obviously can looks I just, better can I, when can he I was just, traded as a positive value contract in the CP3 deal. I just want to defend that even outside of the you know his role in bringing Chris Paul to Phoenix. It was so yeah. nice having him on the team because we went so <laughs> long without having anything remotely close to competent point guard play. And Rick Rubio has so many limitations. He's a good decision maker offensively. He keeps the offense ticking along. And it was just like really nice to be able to turn on a Suns game and be like, yeah, like we might actually be able to score 34 points this quarter because <laughs> our offense will move the way that an offense is so anyway, mm. he he's you know extremely limited. Don't miss him, but just I appreciate him. I, appreciate I guess him. this is what you talk a little bit about before when we're talking about the Vucevic deal, like competency before like excellence. Uh, that's that is that's rolled off the tongue, despite being something I just made up. But you've, <laughs> you've, you've come in and you've got a dude who set the table for CP3 to come in and elevate them. I think, yeah, I, I much rather get like. It's a it's a low it's a lower value buy with just signing Ricky Rubio to like whatever his contract was, as opposed to trading for Vucevic, who was getting paid a lot more money and giving up two first round picks in the process. But that's sort of yeah, setting the table for CP three to come in and look now now you're you're loving your life, and I I think you can, we can both say that the Suns are playing well above where we had them at the start of the season. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm literally but, like walking on air with this Sun. Like it's, <laughs> but, it's been such a joy. But Dante, you've just missed out on my beautiful segue, which is fear not, because as we are going back and looking at some of our old takes for the 2019-20 offseason, we will definitely be reviewing our over-unders that we said at the start of this season for uh, both the left and right and conferences, the Suns included. I, I'm not a, a very prideful person, so when I am wrong, I... I think I find it, you know, like reasonably easy to admit that I was wrong. So I am ready. That being said, I am ready to be extremely confronted with just how often I I was wrong with those over unders. <laughs> no, that's right. I, what did, I won. I won the season before you. Yeah? yeah, you definitely did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and don't I? I'm the exact same. I'm not very prideful either, as you can tell. <laughs> also, not a scorekeeper. No, 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 no. I did beat you in fantasy last week, but yeah, it's got nothing to do with the podcast. Oh, Sean, Sean, you didn't beat me. You whipped me through the streets. No, no, yes, get out did. of here. Yes, no, I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. The little <laughs> notification popped up on my phone. And it says, congratulations, you've won. And it's got the share button at the bottom. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no don't, don't give me the share button. Um, yeah, look, more happened this offseason and we'll definitely go back and revisit it because it was incredibly fun to live through. And God, is this just another another example of a fun time to be a basketball fan? They they seem to be popping up left, right and center. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. It is, it is a fun time to be a basketball fan. All right, Dante, do you want to sign us off? Thanks for listening. And we will be back next week for another episode. Thanks. Back to back to regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, regularly scheduled, regularly scheduled programming. It's been been a little bit of a, a wait between this one and the last one because, you know, life happens. TM. Um, but thanks for bearing with us, and we'll be back in your ears soon. <laughs>